The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Good morning. Thank you, Brother Vincent. Up and cheery, little southern gospel country. Love it. Come as brothers and sisters in Christ and come worship you, praise you, because you deserve all the praise and all the glory. And I thank you for this wonderful church that we have here, and I ask that you be with us in your Holy Spirit as we continue our study through the Ten Commandments. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So please turn to Exodus chapter 20. We're continuing our study in the Ten Commandments. And last week we studied honoring your mother and your father, right? So I hope throughout the week you did something to honor your mother or your father. Give them a hug, give them a call, thank them for everything that they've done for you, and showing some love. And speaking of love, we also had Valentine's Day this past Friday, right? So I hope you also honored your significant other. And I know some of you have been married longer than I have, but I've been married for 19 years, and I think that's a pretty long time too. And on this Valentine's, you know, my wife and I kind of reflected and we tried to remember our first Valentine's Day. Was, you know, can you remember it and so forth? And we couldn't really, really remember. And I, you know, being married for 19 years and so forth, sometimes Valentine's Day is just like on any other day. It just moves on. But I asked her a question. I said, Babe, in all the 19 years we've been married, can you tell me honestly if you ever thought of leaving me, if you ever thought of divorce? And she looked with her pretty brown eyes in my face and said, never. But murder has crossed my mind several times. <laughs> so I'm very thankful I made it this far. And we're going to study this wonderful commandment today which is in Exodus 20:13 that tells us you shall not murder. So honey pay attention. You know apparently there's some people that think they consider the 10 commandments very dangerous. You put them up at work, you put them up at school, at court, at a courthouse, right? And everybody has some kind of issue with it. They'll try to take them down. And I saw a comic device, uh, depicting a Schools, two public school administrators or teachers, they're standing there and they're, there's a watching a line of students pass through the metal detector and they say it's the latest in school safety devices. And one of them explains that the light in the horn goes off anytime somebody brings a gun or a knife or a bomb or a copy of the Ten Commandments into the school. And which of, which one, which of the commandments caused controversy? Almost everyone. Almost all of them. People strongly objected to the first commandment, which rules out other gods. They don't really see the point of the fourth commandment we study, which requires a weekly day of rest. They indulge, they indulge or they love little sexual sin every now and then. They don't care for the seventh commandment, which we'll cover next week. Just about the only commandment that everyone seems to accept is this number six. No one approves of murder. But I want to say murder is not wrong because no one approves of it. 
And it's not wrong because we don't accept it. It's wrong because God said so. That's why it's wrong. And there are several reasons why God says you shall not murder. And the reason is the source of life. The source of life. The Bible teaches that God is the giver of life. And it is God alone alone who brings life into existence. There are two theories about origin of life, right? There's a theory about creationism. And this theory about evolution. So the problem with evolution, besides making a monkey out of you... If you believe in evolution, then that places mankind on a level no higher than anything else. You're just something that just kind of evolved out of nothing, and you're just as equal to a plant or an animal. Some of these commandments, you know, and the reason it's also such a serious crime, because once it's done, it cannot be undone. Some of these commandments that we study and we're going to study, you know, for example, the Eighth Commandment says you shouldn't steal. You know, restitutions can be made. You can make up for it. But if you take a human life, it's impossible for you to give that life back. Once the crime of murder is committed, it can never be undone. And also, this violation robs God of his glory because it destroys the very image of God that is stamped on every human life. And Genesis 1.27 says, So God created men in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. God has given us life and breath so that we might live for what? For his praise. Psalmist wrote in 118, Psalm 118 verse 17 says, I shall not die but live for what? And declare the works of the Lord. Life is not given for our own sake, but for God's glory. And for this reason, it may not be taken unlawfully. Uh, One theologian has observed this, and he said this, A person may not be killed for this reason, that he is either actually or potentially someone who declares God's praise, and therefore anybody who kills another person therefore robs God. So we're dealing with sanctity of human life. And in many places, including the United States, you know, life means very little. And it's nothing new. I remember uh, reading about Napoleon, and he was making plans for a great battle, and one of his associates told him, this will cost us 100,000 men if we do this battle. And he said, what's 100,000 men to me? The life is becoming more and more meaningless to people And before we begin, I want to point out we need to understand that all murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. And before we get to what it forbids, I want to point out some things that it does not forbid, because there's a lot of misinterpretation of this commandment. First, it doesn't forbid the taking of animal life. Now, in Exodus 20, 24, it says, On an altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice it on your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep, your oxen. In the very place where I record my name, I will come to you, and I will bless you. God gives instructions here about burnt offerings, slaying of sheep and oxen. Now, I want to point out, though, the Bible does teach humane treatment of animals. If you look at Proverbs 12.10, it says, A righteous man regards the life of his animal, but tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. So this teaches that 
even though it's not wrong, you should not be cruel to animals. You should not abuse it. There's no, what we call it, animal abuse. Uh, you should feed it. You should not leave it out in the cold when it's cold. Uh, you should bathe it once in a while if you've got a dog or maybe a cat. I don't know if you can wash a cat, but... Um, but the Bible also gives us the, the right to kill animals for food. So I'm not against hunting, but I do have a little bit of issue when people just kill for sport. If you kill for food, deer, and so forth, I'm fine with that. But why would you just go just for sport? I don't get that. Again, I'm not here to debate that. But in Genesis 9.3, it says, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I've given you all things, even as green herbs. So why is man higher than the animal. You see, where we told about the creation of man in Genesis 2-7, read these words with me. It says, And the Lord God formed man out of dust out of the ground. So he created him from dirt. And then it says, And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. As far as I studied the scripture, Nowhere is this phrase, breath of life, is applied to anyone except the human life. Only mankind has breath into, by God, this breath of life. And the Bible states we're made in the image of God. It's never spoken of animals in that way. And further, the Bible states we're in, we're in his likeness of God as well. Never written about animals that way. So it's not prohibiting the killing of animals. But understand me, you can't just go and kill whoever you want at the same time. Uh, second thing, contrary to popular opinion, it, it is not against capital punishment. So I know some people are against it and so forth, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Exodus 21.12 tells us, He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. And the only one has the right to snuff out a life is the one who gives it. So, therefore, only God has the authority to delegate that task to someone else, to give people the right to take another life. And he did this in Genesis 9-6. He says, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for image of God he made man. And if you read Romans 13, all 13 verses talks about the government. And when you, uh, you know, this is not, again, it doesn't prevent death penalty, but Look at Romans 13.4. It says, for he, so he's talking about government, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger execute wrath on him who practices evil. So those who want to abolish uh, capital punishment, in my opinion, think they're more wiser and more, more humane and more loving than God himself, uh, you know, they're concerned more with the criminal than the victim. And I understand sometimes mistakes are made. But Henry VIII once pardoned a murderer who in turn went out and killed again. And when a second plea was made uh, to King Henry, he said, no, he killed the first time, but I killed the second time. So this man must be executed. So God authorizes the God-ordained government to use capital punishment. The third thing it doesn't prevent is for, or you know, prohibit is protection for our loved ones. If you look at Exodus 22.2, it says, If a thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt 
there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. So it says if somebody's breaking into your house at nighttime, during the daytime, and there's going to be harm to your children, to your wife, or you might rape them or whatever. If you kill someone when they're breaking in, God does not hold you guilty. And then the fourth thing, which is I've been getting a lot of fighting, but I can't help but the Bible teaches what the Bible teaches. We have some pacifists out there, and believe me, uh, uh, we're talking about war, and they think no war, you should never go to war. I, I, I do not believe that because it's not a correct interpretation of the Bible. And there are many times when it's necessary to go to war when the war is just. When the war is just, the Bible reveals that the war is judgment of God upon nations, especially when the nation is evil. Uh, let me give you a few verses here. When Israel rebelled against God, God used Assyria as a tool of God's judgment. If you look at Isaiah 10.5, it says, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff of those in hand my indignation. And in Judges 3.12, he says, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord strengthened Elon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they have done evil in the sight of the Lord. So God even used other nations to punish Israel. And in 1 Samuel 15, the verses 2 to 3 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. What did he do? He ambushed them on the way, Israel on the way when they came from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek, utterly destroy all they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. That's pretty ruthless. But God uses war sometimes as judgment upon nations. Now, commandment does not forbid declaration of going to war and I'm going to say this when it's just. So there are several matters must be involved. involved. There, you know, there must be a just cause in order to stop some kind of aggression in the world. There, there must be some intent in order to secure justice for all. Uh, it must be waged only as the last resort. All other efforts must be exhausted. It also has to be declared by a legitimate authority. In other words, it recognizes only of established Governments has the right to declare war. And war is caused by mainly two reasons. Sinfulness of men and the wrath and judgment of God. If there's no sin, there will be no war. And I want to say war is hellish. It's terrible. No person in his right mind should go to war. Uh, but what would you do if you walked out of church and one of us was being attacked or being mugged by a thug? Wouldn't you want to protect them in some kind of way? So if you're doing that on a smaller scale, wouldn't it be fair to say to do it on the larger scale when the innocent is being attacked by the aggressor? And does God enjoy war? Absolutely not. But he uses it. War is God's judgment upon sin. Some claim war is wrong because Jesus said, love your enemies. Right? So how can you love your enemies... And still go to war with them. To me, this answer is very simple. It's the same way the father who loves his children, but he spanks them when they disobey. It's the same way when a doctor loves his patient and wants to save him, but he operates, cuts deep, and bloodshed for his own good. 
It's the same way the police officer might love a criminal by arresting him and putting him in jail, stopping him. It's the same way Jesus sent, uh, Jesus sends uh, unrepentant sinners to hell. You know, sometimes we think that when people, Jesus is going to be this ruthless, people will go to hell, but they're not going to go unloved. So how can a loving God do that? And do you realize when Jesus returns, he's going to declare war? He's going to declare war. He's going to do what the Jewish zealots wanted him to do when he was the first time. If you look at book of Revelations in chapter 19, uh, verses 11 through 15, it says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His head were many crowns. He had name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes his sharp sword. And he who strikes nations, and he himself will rule them with the rod of iron. He himself treads winepresses and fearness the wrath of Almighty God. In his first coming, Jesus became, came as a redeemer. In his second coming, you know, he's, he's going to come as a judge, a ruthless judge. He will become the ruler of, through death of his enemies. Now, again, history uh, here, you know, I watch a lot of history. When soldiers returned from, from, from war, and especially here, you know, the Vietnam War in particular, many of these people... First, I'm going to say there's some people in war that did things that they were not supposed to do. But many of these people that went to war have seen things they should not have seen and been in places that they should not have been. And they come back to their country and they're called baby killers. That is not right. That, that is absolutely not right. And um, if you fought in the World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War, whatever, you are not a murderer. You were fighting on the authority of the United States. Now, if it wasn't a just war, you're not the murderer. It's the guy that ordered the war is the murderer. And you have nothing to be ashamed of. And now we don't have to dive into detail and all that, but I just wanted to show you some examples of what it does not prohibit, because there's a lot of misinterpretation about this, so it's not... Uh, about slaying animals for food, about capital punishment or self-defense or a just war. So what is God talking about? First, I want to mention intentional murder. Honey, pay attention. It's homicide. First Peter 4.15 says, But let no one of you suffer as a murderer, a thief or evildoer or a busybody in other people's matters. I read recently that there's 26,000 murders in America every day. I'm sorry, every year, not every day. Uh, if you divide that up, it's, it, that's, that's to me is insane. This is a crime against society, crimes against individual, crimes against their families. I'm just thinking about, you know, how you're killing a person, but how much effect it has on everybody else around that person. And it is a crime against the holy God who gave this life, and you can't take it away. That's not yours to take. So there's homicide. In Proverbs 6.16, it says this, There's things, six things the Lord hates, 
Yes, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. So, and he goes on and lists other sins, verses 18 through uh, 19. But here he warns against this horrible sin of homicide. And I want you to know, even though in the court systems they're sometimes crooked, and sometimes you may get away from the judgment of men, right? Sometimes if somebody has lots of money or they're famous somehow, they, they get away with murder. But you will not escape the judgment and justice of God. When Cain killed Abel, God said to him this in 4.10. It says, and he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You will not, nobody in the world will escape the justice of God for shedding innocent blood because it is cries out to God. The second thing I want to talk about is what it prohibits is suicide. Suicide. Not only it's wrong to take someone else's life, it's wrong to take your own life. There are 30,000 suicides every year in the U.S., and somebody said, and then one thing I read that said there's 400,000 attempts of suicide every year. And at least 5,000 young people succeed in taking their life. Why do people attempt suicide? There are many reasons. You know, some hope for attention. Some people are hurt. There's an example of that in 2 Samuel uh, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 23. Uh, Ahithophel was an advisor to David, and when Absalom tried to overthrow his, his, his father, king, he switched side and became uh, Absalom's advisor, and he gave him some advice, and Absalom didn't follow it. So look what happened here in verse 23. It says, Now Anthropol saw that his advice was not followed. He saddled down on the donkey and rose and went home to his house, to his city, then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. Sometimes people get hurt from somebody or, you know, their advice because they have a, a high level or they think there's somebody and somebody doesn't listen to him. Uh, that's one of the reasons. Now, other reasons is health. Some people struggle with disease, suffer from pain, decide just to end it all. You cannot bear it. But that's no reason to commit suicide. We know in the great example of Job, Job was going through lots of things. And if you look at Job 3, uh, verses 20 through 26, it says, Why is the light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter of soul, who long for death, but it does not come, and search for it, then hidden treasures, who rejoices exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave? Why is the light given to a man whose way is hidden, and whom God has hedged in. For my sighting comes for before I eat, and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor I am quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. So he's going through all these things, and sometimes people just say, I want to end it. That's not an excuse. Sometimes people feel worthless and empty. You guys remember King Solomon? One of the wisest the most wisest person, he had everything. Well, he came to a point in his life, he was feeling kind of worthless and empty. In Ecclesiastes 2.17, he says, Therefore I hated life because the work that was under the sun was distressing to me for all his vanity and grasping for the wind. Some people feel hopeless. I have a conviction, though, personally, because many are not 
I, I do believe that many are not mentally balanced at the time. You, you know, suicidal people seem to maximize their problems instead of, uh, you know, and minimize their achievements. Um, minor setbacks considered are major ones. Uh, there's uh, unrealistic expectations on themselves. And I believe that teen suicide is up because of just the hopelessness that they feel. The schools do not help. They just move the Bible. They remove prayer. They removed all hope that they had. And now they're teaching that man is God, basically. And when man is God, and you, you, you're like, okay, well, man is God. And you can't solve your problems. What hope is there? But folks, no one has the right to take his own life because in truest sense of the word, your life is not your own life. Did you know that? Your life is not, it comes from God and there is no excuse. And I want to stress, there is no excuse, no reason for anyone ever to take their own life. Even the most incurable disease, constant unbearable pain, one should never take his own life before, because you, when you do that, you take it out of the hands of God and put it in your own hands. In 1 Corinthians 6.19 it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you from whom have from God? You are not your own. You are not your own. For you were brought with a price. Therefore glorify God in the body and your spirit which are God's. God is the only one that's good enough, that's wise enough, that's strong enough to let us know when it's time for us to go. Under no circumstance... And we need to understand that God of heaven cannot help. He can help pass through anything that's going on in your life. He is the answer. And that's why a lot of people commit suicide because they don't turn to God. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to men. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make way to, of escape that you may be able to bear it. You see, there's... No matter how severe the testing going on in your life, no matter how horrible the trial, no matter how horrible your parents may be or something, there is a way out of trouble. It's God's way, but it's not suicide. The Lord Jesus Christ can rebuild your life and give you hope if you're hopeless. In Psalm 71.5 and Psalm 31.24, I want to read, it says, For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. In 31, Psalm 31 says, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all who hope, who hope in the Lord. So what is your hope today, folks? There might be somebody who says, I don't know where to turn. I just think I'm just going to end it all. Suicide does not end it all. You need to think about all the, you know, maybe somebody's saying, why are we talking about suicide? Because there's people out there, maybe not even here, but there's people out there that you may come in contact with that you can help them. And, and it, 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 suicide does not, is not the answer. All the grief for your loved ones. And how ashamed would you be standing in front of God and saying, God, I did not trust you with my problems? Folks, I'll admit sometimes people may be mentally disturbed, mentally deranged, mental illness, and it may cloud the minds of people when they commit suicide. Uh, somebody asked, can a Christian get depressed and suicidal if everything is, you know, all our hope is in Jesus? Can they get it? Absolutely. Absolutely they can. And have you heard of the hymn that's called, There's a Fountain Filled with Blood? And I guess they changed it because it's too graphic. It's... Uh, fountain 
full of love. Have you heard of that hymn? You should, because Marilyn sang it for us, sang it for us last Sunday. It was written by a, name, a man named William Cowper, who was a poet, and he was a voluntary assistant to John Newton, who wrote the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. And Cowper had in his past heard some heretical teachings about elections, God-elect, and somebody convinced him that he was not God's elect. And he was so confused that he felt if he could not be saved, what's the point of living? So he came, became deeply depressed and tried to kill himself by slashing himself with a knife. Luckily, he didn't succeed. And under the counseling of the Bible, and John Newton took him under the side, he was able to understand the truth and go on with his life and wrote wonderful hymns some, that some of you may have heard. So if we're struggling with emptiness or worthlessness or something like that, you need to go to Psalm 107.9. It says, For he satisfies the longing of your soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And God's people, when you have Christ in your life, you have so much to live for. Everything we need mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, all of that, folks, and I'm not just saying it because, you know, that's a pastory thing to say. Everything can be found in Jesus Christ. It is. And he helps us conquer, overcome whatever problems confront us, no matter how terrible. He will give you wisdom. Why? Because he's been through it all. In Hebrews 2.18, it says, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So is it wrong to commit suicide? Absolutely. Why? Because God said so. And the third one is kind of personal to me because... I call it emphasize, since we're doing all the sides, homicide, suicide, I'm going to call it emphasize. And that is talking about abortions. Abortions. We take little infants, taking the lives of preborn babies, and killing them. And in America, one million, million little babies, on average, are being slaughtered each year with government's approval. And folks, that makes me shudder. It makes me... Wrath of God is coming upon this nation for the killing of babies. And, and, you know, in 1973, in this country, the Supreme Court ruled this. It said that every woman in the United States has the same right to an abortion during the first six months of pregnancy as she has to any other minor surgery. Folks, did you catch that? Abortion is being classified as any other minor surgery surgery. And since that time, since 73, have been estimated that over 30 million babies have been executed and killed in America. That's 4,000 times every day a baby loses its life. It's safer in this country to be a bald eagle. There's more protections for the bald eagle. There's more protection from some snails in the river than there is for a baby inside the womb of the mother. And the United States government protects this little fish, protects the bald eagle. And again, we should not kill animals, but a human life? There's something wrong or something's happening here in America that's very ungodly. And I remember a comic in a magazine when the 2016 elections were up. And it showed a picture of Donald Trump and it showed a picture of Hillary and a man standing to his side, and he's talking to God, and the man is supposed to be representing the American people. And he says, God, couldn't you have given us better choices? 
And God answers, says, I did, but you aborted them all. So there's something very ungodly. So some people say, well, that depends when life begins. When does life begin? I believe life begins at conception, and it's beyond any debate. People like to debate this, but there is no debate. Look at Jeremiah 1.5. says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Before you were even born... I already declared all these things for you. I ordained you. I, I sanctified you as a prophet. Listen to Isaiah 49.1. It says, Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the wound, from the matrix of my mother. He has mentioned of my name. And the paraphrase says, The Lord called me from my birth, before my birth. Before my birth. From within the womb, he is called by my name. Genesis 25, uh, 21, 22 says, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. She couldn't have any babies. And the Lord granted this plea, and Rebekah has conceived. But the children, but the children struggled, struggled together within her. And she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire to the Lord. Esau and Jacob struggled with Rebekah. They're called children. But they're still inside the womb. Why? Because it's a child. It's a living being. And in Job 31, 15, he said this, Do not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one fashion us in the womb? And folks, have you read, ever read of Psalm 139? It is the most beautiful statements about the life of the unborn. In Psalm 139, verses 13 through 15, he says, For you formed, my, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought into the lowest parts of the earth. So, you see, folks, abortion is not something new that the United States created or somebody created and it came. Abortion, it happened in the Old Testament, it happened in the New Testament. But God holds children, little innocent children, very dear to him. Remember when Jesus was born, who was the first one to suffer for Christ's sake? What did King Herod do? Killed some babies. You know, when Jesus was preaching and teaching, you know, what I call doing all adult stuff, and there were some kids that come into him, they, 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 they said, no, we're, we're busy, don't bother Jesus. What did Jesus say in Matthew nineteen fourteen? But Jesus said, let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. If that's such, such a kingdom of heaven, we've got to learn something from the kids. Children are dear, and especially to God. And let me show you how serious God is about this matter. If you go to Leviticus uh, chapter 20, the first five verses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Again shall say to the children of Israel, Whoever of children of Israel, or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives his descendants to Molech, he surely shall be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. So he's saying, not just Israel, but anybody that's in Israel, anybody up in here who give his children to descendants to Moses, you got to stone them. And I will set my face against the man and will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Moloch to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. Remember, we talked about the names of Jesus, the holy name. Why is it profane? Because a human is made in the image of God. 
And all the people in the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Molech. They do not kill him. So if any of you know that that's going on and you do not kill him, if you do not stone that person, he says, then I will set my face against that man and against his family and I will cut him off from his people who prostitute themselves with committed holotry with Molech. Sounds like being guilty of indirect murder. You're not murdering, but yet you're not defending. You know, when you go to the movies, they have that sign that says silence is golden, right? Well, sometimes it's just plain yellow. We have to speak up. We have to speak up for the innocent. And abortion is like the Old Testament Molech. And I think I explained it once. It's, it's, a, it's a god and has an open belly and it's full of fire and people just throw their kids in there. It's a sexual god. And the next day they just scatter their ashes and move on with their life. But notice here, in verse 2, it said, He shall surely be put to death. He, God will set his face against that, man, against that man. God's against those who hide their eyes from that sin. And he will set against the face of those people too. Well, some say, well, what about if the baby is deformed or, or it's going to have some kind of uh, imperfection? Well, let me ask you this. There's a lot of people or kids with mental illness or some kind of imperfection in the world right now. Should we kill them? Absolutely not. So if you're not going to kill a baby before birth, why would you kill a baby after birth? And we read in uh, John 9, 3, if you look at it with me, we found that Jesus saying defective eyes of this person were allowed. Why was this disability allowed? In order that works of God be displayed. Look at John 9, verse, first three verses. It says, Now Jesus passed and saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, Neither man nor his parents sinned, but the works of God should be revealed on him. And the abortionists these days trying to play God. It's significant. Uh, you know, it, it, have you, there's... There's organizations for kids with disabilities <clears throat> and, you know, the, the, the Down syndrome and so forth. And what's interesting, all these organizations that do these disabilities, none of them support abortion. But yet they're doing it, helping all these kids. And I want to say that disabled kids or handicapped children are not social liabilities. And sometimes you find more meaningful conversation with a disabled person than a normal person. Uh, and, you know, they're not social assets. In my own family, <clears throat> my dad's cousin uh, uh, was born with Down syndrome. He lived to the age of 65. He was several days older than my dad. And, you know, the story that he shares is when my dad and him was getting married, he pulled them aside and said, I'm going to give you, I'm going to do some consulting with you guys. And he told my dad if he ever is mean to Anna, which is my mom, he's going to have to answer to him. And he should listen to him because he's a day older than him. He had a great sense of humor, uh, and he brought joy to those people around him. And, and, you know, he was, but yet he had a disability. Should we abort those babies? No. And let me give you a famous example. Many years ago, 
Two babies were delivered by the same doctor at different times. One was a healthy boy, put out a strong cry. And later, the same doctor delivered a girl who was born with Down syndrome. And 50 years later, they grew, and the girl with Down syndrome lived her life taking care of her mother, who fell ill. The healthy boy died in a bunker in Berlin. Anybody care to know the names of the baby boy? Adolf Hitler. So why would we abort people with deficiencies? And person nature is not worth, it's not changed by the handicap. That's what God is saying. In our society, has some kind of double standards. And I don't know if I'm taking longer to this because this is kind of an issue we do need to address so people are educated on it. You know, we're touched by all these telethons that they do, much of dimes, uh, uh, United Way advertisement. We sponsor Special Olympics. We cheer down syndrome competition and so forth. But when the medical community finds out there's a, a woman carrying one of these inside her womb, we're, we say she should have her abortion. That's hypocrisy. Do you realize if we abort children on base of handicaps, we also jeopardize the lives of the people that are ready or the kids that are already alive? So what if my daughter develops all of a sudden some kind of disability? What if she goes blind or so forth? And, oh, it costs a lot of money to maintain her. Should, should I kill her? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Why? Because you know that child. Sometimes people make excuses, well, I don't really know them. How can you not know them? You're carrying inside the womb. And... You know, speaking of Hitler, we, we think of Nazi Germany, this tyrannical place. They had no regard for human life, and they killed the Jews, right? But if you study history, that's not where it started. Hitler started by killing off 275,000 of handicapped people because he wanted to create a healthy race. So he executed them. And we need to realize and learn from history, we're saying they're evil, but yet... We're becoming more and more like them. Abortions based on probable handicaps rob the world of unique people who would significantly contribute to society. And one day a medical school teacher gave his class a case study whatever or not to advise the mother to have an abortion. And here's, here are the facts he wrote out. He said the father had syphilis and a mother tuberculosis. One of four children already born was blind. Second died. The third was deaf and dumb, and the fourth child had tuberculosis. So the teacher asked, what counsel are you going to give to the mother? And one student gave the obvious answer. She should have her abortion. And he said, congratulations, you just killed Beethoven. Beethoven. Folks, there's people that contribute to the society. Now, we can go on and on. But those are the things that I wanted to cover. There's euthanasia and so forth, but, you know, for, for save time, th those are the things that are intentional. Now, there's also indirect murder. Indirect murder, and I'll kind of go fast on this, it's, it's something that King David did. Remember when he killed Uri? In 2 Samuel 11, 14 through 15, he said, In the morning happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it to the hand of Uri. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set you were in the forefront, hottest battle, and retreat from him that he may struck down and die. So, you know, this commandment is violated not only when a person does evil, it also when he fails to do good. If you send some person naked 
and they didn't give him clothes and they freeze to death. You're, you're, you're in violation of indirect murder. If you, anybody suffers from hunger and you didn't give them food and you had the means to do it, you're in violation of this commandment because you had the means to do it. If you do not, you know, the, the, the Good Samaritan story. All those people passed him by. One Samaritan stopped by. Why? Because he had the means. Other people had the means, but they chose to ignore it. And some of us are cutting our life short of the loved ones. Some of you are giving your mother and your dad probably gray hairs. We're all guilty of that. Uh, wrinkles. So we talked about it last week about honoring your father and your mother. And some of our kids are killing off our parents with the way we live, creating stress and creating all these uh, health issues. And the third thing I want to, final thing I want to touch base on is invisible murder. This is the murder that really there's no blood, blood is shed, but God writes down still murder. In Matthew 15, 19, he says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murderers, adulterers, fornifications, theft, false witness, and blasphemy. You see, murders don't come into the heart. Murders come out out of the heart. And when there's murder in the heart, whenever really, if it even finds its way into expression, into taking another life, when God comes to judge, he already writes down murder. And in Matthew 5, 21, uh, 22, he said, You have heard that it was said to the days of old, You shall not murder. Whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, which means you fool, shall be in danger of counsel. But whoever says you fool, there it is, shall be in danger of hellfire. What's the Lord saying? If there's evil, evil heart that burns towards other people, uh, you have this hatred toward them, God writes down murder. Uh, there's anger of people. You see it at intersections, right? In traffic, people complain, people honk, and the only thing that's preventing them from killing you is the law itself. If there was no law against murder, they probably would have killed you. And there's anger towards somebody. Now, there's legitimate anger. And Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. But then the second part says, do not let the sun go down in your wrath. So in Genesis, we also find that anger kills people physically as well. If you let it get out of control, it says, let not my soul enter their counsel. Let, any, let not my honor be united their assembly, for their anger slew a man. In their self-will, they hamstruck an ox. So they murdered men and crippled animals just for sport out of their anger. So we have to be angry, uh, careful with our anger, how we handle it. It starts with thinking, then it moves to talking, then it moves into expression, and then it actually moves into deed. In Galatians uh, 5.20, it lists in verse 21, murders as one of those things who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if we commit murder only if only in our hearts, God says you deserve hell. When we're talking about invisible murder here, it's invisible murder. You'll be convinced you won't be convinced or convicted in the human court, but you will be convicted in God's court. Look with me in 1 John 3:15. It says, Whoever hates his brother is what? Is a murderer. And you do know you know that no murderer is eternal life and abiding in him. So this verse tells us about controlling our thought life. If your heart is the headquarters for hate, God says you're a murderer. And Revelations 21.8 says, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abdominal murderers, and he goes on with the sin, says, which is second death, they, they partake in the lake which burns. They go to hell. And I'm amazed at the hate 
that we're starting to see in this country. That the, just the hate, racial hate, religious hate, revengeful hate. If your heart is filled with hate, you need to get saved. And 1 John 4.20 says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how he's going to love God who he hasn't seen. And the problem with our country, folks, is not going to be solved by the city hall, the White House, or whatever. It's going to be solved by you, 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 myself. And we need to start loving each other with all our differences. And the way that we can love is for the Jesus Christ love through us. In Romans 5, 5, it says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us. So we need to take that love that's poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and distribute it. He, whoever hates his brother, is a murderer. And, you know, there's so many hateful, hateful. Sometimes, you know, I just don't understand. Sometimes people just want to spread their hate. It reminds me of a woman who went to a doctor and he looked very... Grave, he didn't know how to tell her that she has a diagnosis, and he said, ma'am, you have hydrophobia, you have rabies. She took out a pencil and started writing things, and he said, what are you, what are you writing? She said, I'm making a list of people I'm going to bite. So all this hate that we want to spread. Now listen, some of you may say, well, long sermon today, but none of these things apply to me. I'm not guilty of intentional murder, indirect or I have no heart, you know, hate in my heart at all, so you know, I'm not guilty of this invisible murder. But folks, I want to remind you, we all stand guilty in front of God. We're all guilty, and we're guilty of not homicide, but deicide. We killed Jesus Christ, God's Son. It was our hands, mine, yours, that drove the nails through his hands. It was our hands that put that you know, crown of thorns on his head and pressed it down till it bleeded. And you know, when Jesus ascended to heaven, Apostle Peter preached in Jerusalem to the same people who called Jesus Christ to be crucified. He's preaching to them and he was basically accusing them of murder, of killing the one who came to save them. And when they realized what they've done, they desperately asked the question. They wanted to know what they could do about it. And he told them in Acts 2.38, 2, it says, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission is of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus died on the cross, folks, he died for murderers as much as for anybody else. And we know this is a true fact because in Luke 23.34, it says, Then Jesus said this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do, and they divided his garments. Who were these people? It was the people that were hanging him on the cross. Through We are guilty of deicide. God will forgive you. God will cleanse you and save you because he died for you and me. He shed his blood that we might be forgiven for our sins. Is he your Lord today? When you walk out of this building, do you know him as a personal savior? I pray that you do, and if you don't, that you give his heart to him today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this study. Yet there's so much to say, but so much little time. And I thank you for the words that you've spoken to me, to my heart today. And Father, let us think upon these things as we leave this house. And as we leave, I ask that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.
to do 